0: Hello, and welcome to ConnectPoint's podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Chapter 3, verse 16, and I want to read verse 17 As well. From the writings of St. John, chapter 3 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved that the world through him might be saved i want to preach with the help of the lord today that he is indeed ready to save we have a god that is ready to save today amen what you are feeling in the house of the lord is the presence of the lord it's not just emotionalism It's not just you get enough people together and sing some songs. What you are feeling right now, if you've never felt it before, is the presence of the almighty God. And the fact that we would even feel his presence should tell us enough of just how much he loves us. Amen. Amen? He loves us and we love one another. Why don't you turn to three or four people, give them a high five, tell them they look good in God's house. Everybody said, Praise the, Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Ready to save is our God. Ready to save in this place today. There's an Old Testament historical account of a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the kings of Judah, he was the son of King Ahaz. He ruled for some 29 years from 715 to 686 BC, and he was 25 years old when he was appointed king. We have much in the Bible about him. But one day Hezekiah begins to be very sick. The Bible tells us that he comes down with the sickness that is nigh unto death, and God sends him a messenger. The messenger is a prophet of God by the name of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 38 and 1, it says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him, And said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Thou shalt die and not live. Now, if this confuses us today, that uh, someone like that would come and say such drastic uh, and seemingly negative news, it may be because of what many call prophets today are much more fortune tellers than they are future tellers. The word fortune uh, used to be understood as meaning a person's destiny. It was their fortune. It was their destiny. It was what was going to happen. But in a society that is so focused on self as we live in today, a society that is so just always looking and wanting to know what is for me and the best for me, Today, it's more about how we can profit than how we can really get the information that we need. Fortune tellers don't get rich telling people bad news. Amen? But Old Testament prophets weren't worried about being rich. They were worried about being right. It was important and necessary even unto their own life that they were right when they would prophesy, thus saith the Lord. People wonder today why there seems to be so many false teachers or people that have been found out to be deceivers or manipulators, even people in churches or ministry leaders. Why does there seem to be so many of those? And before we return to the Old Testament method of just putting them all to death, before we get that far, we may want to remember that even the Old Testament, we read in Isaiah 30 and 8, and I'm going to read this from the New International Version, through 11. It says, Go now, write it on a tablet for them, inscribe it on a scroll, that for the days to come it be, may be an everlasting witness. For these are a rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, See no more visions, and to the prophets, Give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things, prophesy illusions to us. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. So, you know, before we stone the Old Testament prophets or modern day prophets, we might want to consider that even people in the Old Testament, even some of them were like, we don't really want to hear it. We don't really want you to tell us the truth. We don't, we just want to feel good. Can't you just tell us something that makes us feel good? can't we just come in here and you can pat us on the head and say we're all doing great? Pat your neighbor on the arm and say they're doing great. There. We fulfilled that part. Now we're going to preach. And in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, through I'll, I'll read this from the English Standard Version. It goes like this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. This is the New Testament church. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will accumulate unto themselves, not just one, as many as they can find, that will tell them what they want to hear, that will say what they want to hear and will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myth. They will wander after myths. The reality is is that it's not singularity, a prophet problem. But it is more broadly a people problem. Everybody say it's a people problem. And we're all people. You have to want it is my beginning point here today. You have to want what God has for you. You have to want what God wants to do in your life. You have to want for God to speak to you. And when God does speak to you, you have to want what he is saying. Amen. Let me, I'm just, before we even get too far in this today, I just feel this in my spirit. There's God's been speaking to some people this week about fixing some stuff in your life, fixing some things in your home, fixing some things in your relationships or in your mind, uh, but you don't want to hear what God has to say. And I'm just going to tell you right now, you came to the wrong place uh, because I have to say what the Lord tells me to say, and He's telling you right now, you better get it right. You better quit messing around and playing games and acting like it's not that big a deal because it is a big deal and it's separating you from God and you need to get it right and you have to want it. If you want it, God's going to come in and he's going to heal and he's going to bless and he's going to restore and he's going to make it right. But you have to want it. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you have to want it. You have to want what God is saying today. Anything that God speaks in this place today, you're going to have to want You're going to have to receive. You're going to have to say yes to it. Coming to church is good and wonderful, but it's not all there is. It's not enough to just come and sit. You have to hear what God has to say, and you have to receive what God has to say. You have to want it. Everything we need is available to us, but we have to want it. We have a God who is ready to save, but we have to want it. He's ready to save right now. He's ready to save us from the the attacks of the enemy. He's ready to save us from the things that we do ourselves. He's ready to save us uh, from paths that we're on that are going to lead to destruction. He is ready to save. He stands ready. But we have to want it. You see, the first step in our salvation has already been done. God took the first steps. I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad he did. I struggle sometimes to to take the first steps and just... The, what I need to do in my own personal relationships. Nobody ever wants to take the first step. And I struggle with that sometimes. It's like it'd be easier if they came to me, right? It's kind of like in a negotiation, you're never supposed to talk first. So you just sit there and stare at each other awkwardly. <laughs> it'd be easier if they just came to me. I'm so glad that God came first. I'm so glad that God made the first step. He made the move. He reached out his hand for us. Right. Jesus told Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, in John chapter 3 and verse 3, he says, Jesus answered his son and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right. Nicodemus was a ruler of Jews and a religious person in his own right, but he didn't understand that. He didn't know that yet. This was something he needed to learn. And so Jesus took the first step. You have to be born again or you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to explain. In verses 5 and 6, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And Jesus goes on to foretell what would happen, saying that he must be lifted up. He said, I must be lifted up, speaking of the cross, and speaking of being lifted up on the cross, and speaking of our view of him as the exalted one. I must be lifted up in John 3 and 15. It says, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Because he took the first step. Because he did what we couldn't do. Because he still does what we cannot do. It wasn't just what he did at Calvary. It's what he does every single day. It's every moment that we wake up and we've got his breath in our lungs like we just sung about. It's every day that our heart continues to beat. And the grace and the mercy of God are following after us. And he's trying to get our attention. And he's trying to grab a hold of us. And he said, I've got more for you. Yeah. But you have to want it. I'm ready to save. But you have to believe it. Whosoever believeth should not perish but have eternal life. It is after this declaration of how the process works that we must be born again and that he would be first lifted up on the cross, that those who would believe in him would have eternal life. It's after that process that we give ourselves to, that we believe into. He says he must be born again of the water and of the spirit. The Bible teaches us very clearly about the power of what we need. We needed the cross. Without the cross, we couldn't have any of it. But with the cross, now there is forgiveness. He paid the price. He fulfilled the law. We could not do that. I could not do it. You couldn't do it. But he gave himself the sacrificial lamb to fulfill the law. He spilled his blood on Golgotha's hill. He did that for us. Amen? Amen. For us so that I might be able to do what? That I might be able to come boldly before the throne of grace and I might be able to repent of my sins. And if I repent of my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. And I'm not just talking to the new people here today that maybe have never heard that. I'm talking to all of us who understand that we have to live a life of repentance, that I have to live a life where I die daily unto the cross because I need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in my life. And so he is able to forgive us our sins. In fact, he is, he's ready to do it. If you repent, he says, he is faithful and just to forgive us. He stands ready. That's already in his word. It's already a promise. He's already said it. And he's a God of his word. And so he will automatically do it. But that's not all that it says. It also teaches us that there is a baptism that we can apply ourselves to that connects us to the burial of Jesus Christ. And where our repentance is a dying out to sin, we can be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. And the remission of our sins, the washing away, the cleansing. And so when we go down in what the Bible calls the watery grave of baptism, uh, which is why the Bible shows us every single time in Scripture that they were always completely immersed in the water. They went down into the water, and they came up out of the water. It's why we have a baptismal tank full of water sitting right there. Because we want to be obedient to the word of God and we want people to be able to read it in the scripture and apply it to their life and say, if I'm going to get baptized, I want to get baptized the way they did it in the Bible. And every single time that we see anyone baptized in the Scripture, every time they are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, amen, and it's for the remission of their sins, uh, and it's in the water completely, and the old man is buried, uh, but the new man comes up out of that water. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. The Bible tells us, uh, Amen, that God uh, will come and fill that clean vessel. Amen. That that's that vessel that has been washed clean, uh, that He will come and fill us with His Spirit. And the Bible tells us that there is an evidence of Amen being filled uh, with the Spirit of the Almighty God. And that is when we begin to speak with other tongues, uh, as the Spirit of God gives us the utterance. Uh, and it means now uh, that I'm not just someone who knows God uh, or someone who's been around God uh, or someone who has heard people talk about. About God, but now I'm a walking, talking vessel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, when I lay my head down uh, and when I wake up in the morning, uh, I've got the Lord with me 24 hours a day. 300. I wish somebody would show a little faithfulness today that you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and He empowers us and strengthens us. Go ahead and make a joyful noise unto the Lord a little bit. Hallelujah. After he tells them tells about this process and this application of the death and the burial and the resurrection in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus, Jesus didn't come just to make you feel bad. That's what the devil does. He didn't come to just condemn you and tell you how much of a fail you are and how bad you are, how horrible and you're never going to amount to anything, you'll be whatever. No, that's condemnation. That's the devil's game. He will convict you. Jesus will convict you. I'm not saying that feels good either. But the, the major difference between condemnation and conviction is condemnation pulls you down. Conviction's trying to pull you up. Condemnation is trying to pull you into darkness while conviction is pulling you towards the light. Condemnation says you're never going to be better than this. and fact, you might as well just accept the way you are. And conviction says God's got great plans for you. God's going to do miraculous things with your life. But the truth of the matter is, is that Even conviction, you have to want. You have to want it. You have to receive it. You have to say yes to when God does it. Because he didn't come into the world to condemn, but that the world through him might be, they might be saved. It's not just automatic that everybody's saved. It's not just automatic that if you're alive, you're saved. That's not what he says. He says you might be saved. How? If you go and you apply yourself to what he's talking about in John 3. If you apply yourself to what he talks about to the the first church in Acts 2, if you apply yourself to the gospel message that he gave his life for, that we might be saved, he took the first step. Somebody say, "He he took the first step. He took the first step. He's ready to save us today. He's ready. He's ready. The question is not what God can do in this place today. Because God can do anything. There are no boundaries with God. There is no, he is not weakened in any way. His arm is not shortened. That he cannot reach us. Nobody's too far gone. Can I just tell you today that you're sitting in church on a Sunday morning. So if there's something in your mind saying you're too far gone, you need to tell the devil to shut up. Because, I mean, you could be a lot of places today, but you chose to be in the house of the Lord, and God knew we were going to be here, and God's ready to save. God's ready to heal. He's ready to make whole again. So what will we do then? It's not about what he will do. It's what we will do. What he will do is already settled in heaven. It's already written in the word. It's already there. He already put his, he, he signed it in his own blood. But what will we do? God is ready, and when I say ready, I don't mean God is ready like when your spouse says, "I'll be ready in a minute." You notice I said spouse there. I'm getting smart in my old age. You apply it to whichever one it applies to. I'm just saying, spouse. God is ready, not like when you're when you say to your kids, "Are you ready to go?" And then you say, "Are you ready?" we got to go. Are you ready? Get ready. Get ready. They don't get ready. They don't even hear you say get ready. I don't know what they hear, but it's not get ready. You say get ready, and they hear lay on the couch for a little while longer. That's good. Just stay right there. Enjoy yourself. Sure, go make a big snack right now when we're walking out the door. Let's do that. God is not ready like that. God is ready like right now, ready. Like you can come up here and pray before I'm even done talking ready. Like some of you stepped out and came up and prayed during this song and just came up here and started praying. That's, we do that around here. That's acceptable, by the way. We don't really have a real strong rule system about how these services have to go. You can come up before I'm even done preaching and kneel or stand and begin to pray, and God could heal you. He could deliver you. He could meet your need. He could set you free. He could save us. I was thinking about this, and I saw this this week. You know, people who participate in in track and field, like sprinting, they need to have like an excellent response time. Have you ever watched those races when they get down on the starting blocks? You notice I just went like this. (laughs) I'm not getting down there you know what I'm talking about I don't have to illustrate it for you but they get down on the the starting blocks and they have to have an excellent it's not just about being really fast physically and running but their their brain has to work fast because they, they start off in that prime launch position and they're waiting for that starter gun to fire and it's crucial that they get off the blocks extremely quick in fact some races are won or lost in that moment. They're won or lost in that moment, whether or not they get off of that block fast or faster than the people next to them. Well, I I, thought of that this week because I don't know if you saw in the news, and maybe you're not into this kind of thing. I'm not really, but I just saw it, that in the sporting world, they were dismayed this past week because there was a disqualification of a hurdler named Devon Allen. He was in the World Athletics Championship Final race. And he was disqualified for starting too soon, hold on now, too soon after the gun was fired. See, now you got your attention now, don't I? That's what grabbed my attention. I've seen all kinds of people disqualified for starting too soon before the gun was fired. He started too soon after the gun was fired. He didn't cheat. He didn't jump the gun. He was just Too fast. Under current international rules for track and field, an athlete is disqualified for false starting if they are if they start within 0.1 seconds after the gun was fired. This meant that Alan, who started 0.099 seconds (laughs) after the gun had false started by 1,000th of a second. As it turns out, there's no real reason or science behind the rule. They just have always assumed that no human being could react that fast. I don't know why they would even come up with a rule like that. But they just made an assumption that no human being can react faster than 0.1 seconds after the gun goes off. They just thought, it's not possible. Nobody can do it. And so they literally stopped the race, go to the cameras, show the clock, and he is off the blocks at 0.99 after the gun goes off. And they disqualified him from the World Athletic Championship final race. Now, that's a whole lot of nonsense about racing that seems pointless. But I I say all of it because it's interesting, because you guys will remember it. (laughs) And I want you to remember this. If a human being can react and respond that quickly, how fast can my God When I cry out to him, how quickly can he respond? When I say, Jesus, I need your help, how quickly can he respond? When I come running to an altar and say, Lord, I don't know what to do about this sin that's got me all wrapped up. How fast can God respond and say, I'm here. I'm ready. I've showed up. I come here today just for you. I'm ready to save. I'm ready to forgive. I'm ready to heal. I'm ready to deliver. I'm ready to set you free. I'm ready to get the chains off of your life. I'm ready to bring some peace to your mind. I'm ready. I've come ready to save today. I'm telling somebody you're in the right place at the right time and there is a God that loves you more than you could ever possibly comprehend who showed up on purpose today because he knew you were going to be here and he's ready to say in fact he has done all that he can do in preparation for us Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. We didn't have any strength yet. We couldn't do anything yet. We were ungodly. And yet, what did he do? He took the first step. He died for us. He said, I don't want there to be anything that we have to wait on. <laughs> He said, I'm going to go ahead and die now, and I'm going to give my blood now, and I'm going to rise up now, and I'm going to do everything I can do so that the moment you turn to me, we don't have to wait on one thing. The moment you lift your eyes towards heaven, we don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. The moment you decide, I'm going to say, Jesus! Romans 5 and 8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. We're not here because we're perfect saints. We're not here because we always have it all together. We're here because we were yet sinners. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Anyone who attends this church regularly, anyone who calls this their church home, has a testimony of God's saving grace. Anyone. We have a story to tell. About what God has done for us. We have an assurance that we didn't really find God. He, he found us. Or more correctly, he has always been with us. When we cried out to him and he was, he was there. When we decided we were finally going to do something about our lives, he was there. When all of a sudden we realized there had to be more to life than this. There he was. There he was waiting on us ready to save a sinner hung next to Jesus on the cross two actually but one of them speaks up in that final moments of life desperately in need knowing that he was destined for eternal destruction and Luke 23 tells us and he says unto Jesus Lord remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom and Jesus says unto him verily I say unto thee today today you're going to be with me in paradise he did jesus didn't say well give me some time to think about it jesus didn't say well i wish you could get down and get off that cross and show me some stuff you know and he said lord i need you and jesus said today your answer's coming today Today he's ready. Right now he's ready. God is ready. Amen. Second Corinthians six and two says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. And in the day of salvation I have secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You say, well, that scripture's been written for so long. That scripture's been written for thousands of years. Yes, it has, but every time you read it, it says, now. Every time you open your Bible, it says, now. If God spares this world and spares your life, 10 years from now, you open up that Bible and you're still around, it's gonna say, now, is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. The point that God is trying to make is, is you don't have to wait till tomorrow. You don't have to wait till next Sunday. You don't have to wait till you got it all together. You don't wait to wait till you got it all figured out and all your questions are answered. He's ready right now. He says, I have heard thee. That's the important factor. That's the important factor. He says, I'm ready to do it right now. Why? Because I have heard thee because you have to want it right he's ready to save but you have to want it he's ready to forgive but you have to repent he's ready to cleanse but you have to be baptized he's ready to heal and deliver he's ready to make whole and restore but he says i i heard you amen he's listening he's listening for us to speak He's listening for us to give him permission. You say, "Well, he's God. Yes, He is. He created the heavens and the earth. Yes, he did, but he still seeks your permission. Your will matters to him. He will not override our will. You have all power in, you have all the power to set through this entire service and leave here unchanged. Or everything can change. He says, "I heard thee." I heard thee. And so our young king Hezekiah gets a word from the Lord, from the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 38 and 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order for thou shalt die and not live. The prophet comes and speaks what the Lord told him to speak. He said this is exactly what God said tells him to say. He says, you better get it together. You better get things in order because the sickness is going to kill you. You're going to die. But then in verse 2, it says, then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and he prayed unto the Lord. In verses 4 and 5 says, then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah saying, go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer, and I have seen thy tears, and behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. Now you can read the rest of the story for yourself, and there are many lessons to learn from the life of Hezekiah. They're not all great, but in this moment, Hezekiah's life is an illustration for the same God that is in this place today. Just for today, just notice our God. Just see him. Hezekiah, you got devastating news. Hezekiah, it doesn't look like it's ever gonna change. It looks like this is the end. It looks like it's the death of it all. Hezekiah, it seems hopeless. Seems like the final word has been spoken. And yet he prayed unto the Lord. And God turned Isaiah around with a new word. He said, I got a new word for you. I want you to know I've heard your prayer. I heard you. And now I'm ready to heal you. I heard you, Hezekiah. Now I'm ready to heal. You wanted it. You went after it. You're saying he changed God's mind that's above my pay grade. You can ask God when he got there. You know, the God that I've lived for my whole life, he is always got so many different things happening. He's always trying to get to certain results. But whatever the case was, the reason God responded was because he was ready to save the moment Hezekiah opened his mouth and pray. Stand with me if you would today, please. And like so many people in this place today, Hezekiah had a testimony after that moment. He had a story to tell, and one of the things they used to do in the Bible days was is that they would turn some of their testimonies into songs and the songs would be there and, and the temple singers would, would sing these songs often about the wonderful works that God has done and these songs were based upon testimonies kind of like when he miraculously led Israel across the Red Sea when they got across to the other side they began to sing and dance and they sang a song about how God had just delivered them and there was songs that they would sing forever and so Hezekiah writes his own song and I won't read the whole thing to you, but in, in the middle of his song in Isaiah 38:20, this is his this is his words. He says, The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. He said, I've got a new song, I want everyone to hear it. It's a testimony about how God was ready to save. It's a testimony about how when the darkest day of my life came upon me and I cried out to the Lord, He was there for me. It's a testimony, and I wonder if anybody has that testimony in here today. That in the struggles and the hardship and the most broken parts of my life, there was a God who was there for me. That when I cried out, He was ready to save me. As thankful as I am today for the many, many testimonies that are in this place, I never want to get to the place where any of us are satisfied with just the old. Because God's ready to save today. He's ready to help us today, right now. We are not waiting on God. But he is ready when you are. The front of this building is our altar area. It's intentionally left open so that you can come forward and pray. We believe that the most important part of any service is the response. The most important thing that's going to happen today is when we respond to God. Because the singing is wonderful and the preaching is wonderful and it's all anointed of God and it's all purpose of God. But if we just walk out of here without responding, it doesn't do much. And so we come forward and we pray. And if you've never done that before, I don't want you to feel afraid and worried about somebody's going to do something to you, make you uncomfortable. We're just going to come forward and we're just going to pray. And if you say I don't even really know how to pray, that's fine. Just say his name. Just say Jesus. Just come up with an open heart and say Jesus. I need you today don't have to answer any questions you don't have to jump through any hoops you don't have to take any tests you just have to come and speak and he is ready to hear and when he hears he's ready to respond if you're here today and you would like to come forward and pray I would invite anyone and everyone that is in this place to come and come quickly it's always in order to invite the person next to you to come with you if they want if they say no that's perfectly fine as well Say, hey, do you want to go with me to the front? You want to go up and pray together? That's it. Come quickly. Come quickly. Press in close. Make sure there's room for people behind you to come. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com and also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.